Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's July 12th, 1979, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers were playing at Comiskey Park in Chicago. Note, I don't mention which sport they were playing because I don't care. Uh, We are here today to talk about the intermission entertainment. That's the best bit of any sporting match for your... (laughs) It is for me. For your match. (laughs) But the... Match, or matches, I should say, because they had two twin events going on. Like I say, literally don't even have the sporting vocabulary to describe what the actual main event was. Ollie, 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 the word you're grasping for is a double header. There you are. It used to be apparently quite common in baseball and isn't very common anymore. Stay with us. This isn't about baseball, but carry on, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) I guess because the US is so big, if your game got rained off, rather than going and playing it the next week or something, when you went to play your other match against that team, you would basically play them twice. Does this also underline how not terribly athletic the sport of baseball is that you can play just as many games of baseball as you want in a row and still not get tired. Stop talking about baseball. We're talking too much about baseball. The exciting thing that happened had to do with disco, everyone. D-I-S-C-O. Nothing to do with baseball. Um, But it was actually known as Disco Demolition Night. Now, this was a brainchild of a 24-year-old DJ from WLUP. His name was Steve Dahl. He was kind of shock jock in the area. And what he called his anti-disco army. Now, Steve Dahl had been um, fired, basically, or let go from a previous radio station called WDAI. Why do all American radio stations have such stupid acronyms? And WDAI had pivoted from being a rock and roll format to a disco format, so they got rid of him because he was a rock DJ. He went to this new rock station, and then part of the joke on his show was that he and his sidekicks would, like play the first opening bars of the Bee Gees and then deliberately like trash the record with a needle. And he was chatting to Mike Veck, who was the son of the White Sox owner Bill Veck, about a publicity promotion they could do. He'd say on the radio, bring your disco records to the stadium for this doubleheader and you'll get in for 98 cents. And then what we'll do in the intermission is we will set fire to your disco records. And it was actually one of a number of different disco disruptions that he was doing. He'd done a couple of events where he'd got his followers to go and occupy teen discos and he'd had his cohorts throw marshmallows at the WDAI promotional van in a shopping mall, which Mm -hmm. almost ended in violence but didn't. And then it was all kind of building up to this as his adherents got sort of more and more serious about their campaign of anti-disco-ness. And I didn't really know much about this rock v disco divide. It kind of reminds me of the mods and rockers that that we had in the UK. But it really was polarising. You were either one or the other. Nightclubs were either rock clubs Mm. or disco clubs at the time. It was two years after Saturday Night Fever, which had made disco 
more mainstream. It originated in the gay scene and from black subcultures in the New York disco scene. And it was kind of a minority interest until Saturday Night Fever was obviously a massive success and obviously very macho as well. John Travolta bust the stereotype that people who were interested in disco were effeminate men, etc. But at the same time, there was still a massive proportion of people who saw rock as being real American music, Mm. if you like. By 1979, disco was enormous. Of the 16 singles that made the top of the US charts in the first half of 1979, only three were not disco tracks. So it had absolutely taken over not only the airwaves, but everyone's listening habits. It wasn't a fringe thing anymore. No, I mean, it's worth uh, actually reminding ourselves of what tracks we're talking about here because 1979 was a year of absolute bangers bad girls by donna (laughs) summer le freak by chic do you think i'm sexy by rod stewart i will survive by gloria gaynor hot stuff by donna (laughs) summer ymca by the village people ring my bell by anita ward tragedy by the bgs and good times by chic were any disco songs written not in 1979 (laughs) right so really i mean i suppose that tells you two things one is it's obviously the cultural legacy of that year so like it really was the zeitgeist disco and we're still listening to those songs but two i can understand you know i mean there's there's a racial element to it and maybe a homophobic element to it which which rebecca hinted at there where middle america was kind of like no this isn't for us meatloaf is for us nothing nothing wrong with the uh, theatricality of singing about bats but at the same time i can imagine just as being like a any normal citizen of any colour in America, you were sort of assaulted by disco every time you turned on the radio. I can understand why there was a backlash to that, because I wouldn't want to listen to all ten of those songs back to back. Like, it does get a bit samey, doesn't it? Totally. And you would have been perhaps among some of the people who felt the same way, who had gone out to buy disco records, I can only assume, unless they had it in their possession and they were like, actually, I've since decided, since buying this album, that I now hate (laughs) disco and I want it burnt if not exploded. (laughs) Okay, so let's describe what happened at Disco Demolition Night. So there was a huge box containing thousands of disco records, which was blown up with massive pyrotechnics, but... There were around 70,000 attendees in the stadium. Some of them had obviously been lured by the discounted mission and had brought along not just one disco record to put in the bin, but many, which they started throwing as frisbees at the players. I mean, let's just think about that for a second. You've basically said to all of your White Sox fans, bring a weapon, bring a big (laughs) weapon to our stadium. Like, I mean, a vinyl disc thrown at someone is quite substantial. Yeah, the the play actually had to be halted on several occasions because of these basically razor-sharp discuses landing in the middle of the field. And there was a bit of a problem with security because Comiskey Park's capacity was about 44,000. So they were well over capacity. And so the security had been redeployed to the gates because more people were still trying to get inside. And they were even like setting bonfires and things outside. So (laughs) there was a bit of a security issue, which later went on to be a big big vulnerability. So they get this enormous box... And then they do set it off. And it's the most astonishing thing. I actually watched it back on YouTube. And you expect the explosion of flames and fire and smoke. But you can actually see the records being shot into the sky. It's a nail bomb. He created a nail bomb. It's an enormous, (laughs) giant, discus nail bomb. And then in the immediate aftermath of that, then a couple of people do a sort of pitch invasion. I guess they were overcome with the excitement of it all. And then more people pour on and more people pour on until the field is entirely swarming with punters, lots of them with their shirts off, apparently smoking weed, um, drinking, just and starting their own fires around the thing. I mean, it's absolute bedlam. There was a strangely poignant moment I saw in one account where they were talking about how 
in the aftermath of the explosion, you know, the players were preparing to come back on again for their second match. And then suddenly you had all these people pouring onto the pitch, ripping up bits of turf, yeah. ripping out seating and stuff. And then, oh no, like this obviously isn't going to go ahead. The police actually ended up being called. They turned up in riot gear. 39 people were arrested, although I'm sure quite a lot more people could have been if they hadn't run too quickly. The pitcher said that he uh, thinks that he saw at least two people having sex on third base. <laughs> <laughs> which is the wrong base to be doing it yeah um, in case you're wondering what happened to the game the following morning it was determined by the powers that be that the White Sox had failed to provide playable conditions well yes I think that's fair to that's say that's a fair description they trashed the entire pitch there's footage of you can see like they, they flash up on the screens please return to your seats as if people are going to respond to that. I mean, it had gone way beyond that. It was something like a kind of mass hysteria by that point, wasn't it? I guess because actually the people who turned up, a lot of them really weren't baseball fans. They were there for the explosions. And yeah, I think that a lot of people were there just to have fun and get drunk and get high. And actually did change the momentum for disco. Yeah, Sheik say that their record company just stopped returning their calls. It was as profound as that. It's unclear whether it was just this event, but it really, a lot of commentators say that it really hastened the demise of disco, which may have been going out of style a little bit anyway. But yeah, it was a, a massive moment for disco as, as a musical genre. And obviously by this time, rock and roll, which famously obviously pioneered by black artists, the rock of the 1970s had become a lot more white. So there was a bit of a divide between this sort of middle American, white bread, hard rock style, and then disco, which was associated with urban centres, nightclubs, mm. and the gay scene as well. It does make me really glad, actually, that in Britain we don't have and have never had that kind of racial divide in our pop music radio stations, which is why, you know, when Tina Turner wanted to create a solo career for herself, she came to Britain to be a rock star because she would not be accepted in the US as an African-American rock singer because she was a soul singer. Whereas here, you know, George Michael can be a soul singer and it doesn't matter that he's Greek Cypriot. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just about the song and they all get played on, on the BBC, I guess, is kind of the main driver for it, isn't it? Mm, Which, cool. like, in the States is still so divided, isn't it? You either listen to, like, hip-hop or you listen to country and, you know, they're two separate turfs. Mm. Or Old Town Road, if you want to combine. <laughs> Tomorrow. Now, did you know that Queen Elizabeth had a home birth in Buckingham Palace? That's the room I want to see. I want to see the blood on the floor. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.